Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Lord, you're doing new things in us. And Lord, every season, Lord, does bring, Lord, not only a, a physical uh, environmental change around us, God, but it really does signal. And Lord, you told your people to key off of that as well, the times of harvest, Lord, the times of, of gathering, Lord, the times, the latter rains, Lord, the, the seasons as they would come and go. Lord, the spring brings us a season, Lord, of, of germination, Lord, of, of bearing fruit, of growth, Lord, of taking new steps. And Lord, I pray that uh, today, Lord, I pray for a good, holy conviction. Lord, I ask you to block all condemnation today. We will not receive that. Because, Lord, we live in your grace. Lord, we bathe in it. Justin talked about the love of God just being poured out upon us, and that's so true. Lord, that's what we have. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Never will. But yet, Lord, your word, God, is that constant source, Lord, of exhortation. Lord, to help us, to gently coax us, to, at times, Lord, give us a good shove. But, Lord, because what it's all about, Lord, is fruitfulness and maturity and growth. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us today, God, to open our spirits to hear what the Spirit of God is speaking to us individually. Lord, not a generic word, but a word that is specifically applied to each and every one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk to to you today about who you are. Who are you? And, uh, And to think about that, because really, the only one who can answer that question is God, of course. But it does talk about it. It does beg that desire to be introspective at times, to think about where we are in our journey with Jesus. And I guess I could say, where are you? But who are you is more accurate to the point of really helping us see where we are in relationship to our Savior. And so I want to talk about that today. And then, of course, the subtitle is, is is it time to go to the next level? Is it time to take up your game? Is it time to think about where you are, what you've accomplished, what God has done in your life? Is it time to plant some new seed, hoe some new rows? What is it that God is doing? Well, I want to look at, really, kind of an overview today. And I want to give you some, some stages. As I was looking through what, um, how the Scripture kind of lays out for us, what our, our growth path is. I want to I look at our growth path and, and, and how we can evaluate that and ask the Holy Spirit, where do I stand? And you know what? No one likes to go to an evaluation. You ever been to an evaluation? No fun. You don't get any sleep the night, the night before as you're thinking about, oh, man, they're going to look at what. And, but you know what? The, the Bible makes it really clear. The evaluation that needs to take place as, as us as Christians is self-done. It needs to be something that we do by ourselves in the, you know, the, the comfort of our own home, our own life, with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And that is why at times 
pastors and teachers and spiritual leaders of all kinds, they get frustrated from time to time because they'd like to see more growth. But you know what? And if you try to do that, that's control, and that's not grace, and that's not good. It's not life-giving. The wonderful thing about being a Christian is that it is something that our growth is really dependent upon our desire to participate and to surrender and to flow. And so I, in, in, in that, with that in mind, in that spirit, I want to share this with you today, okay? And I really want to take us through some steps. And I, all I want you to do is just ask the Holy Spirit at the end of this to say, where am I? Who am I and where am I on this, this grid, okay? And if it stirs things up inside you, good. Because that's exactly what the Word of God is intended to do, to stir us up, to begin cutting up the, 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 the soil in our souls and even get down into what they call that, that fallow ground, that, that part of the ground that in, in us that is yet to be tilled, to be broken up and be able to be used for God's purposes. So I, I, I want to break this up into two main parts. The first part I, I want to go over quickly. But, you know, Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he's talking about the sheep and the goats. Not the most wonderful um, portion of Scripture, but it's, but it's there. We can't ignore it. But Jesus basically said, look, let me give you a, a picture of what it's going to be like when this whole thing is wrapped up. People are going to come before him, and they're going to be sheep, and they're going to be goats. And they could all understand that, that sheep and goats were obviously very different, had very different characteristics. And he said, There's, that's the way God is going to divide it up, and the sheep are going to be those who have followed him. Listen to him and bore fruit. And he said, the goats are going to be those who didn't. There's going to be a separation. They're not, not going to all mingle. There's not going to be any confusion. It's just, that's what Jesus was saying. And, and yet, he says in that story something that's very powerful, something that's a little unnerving to me when he says that there are going to be some who walk up to him and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do such and such in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not prophesy? Did we not do very spiritual things in your name? And then what Jesus says is just like, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. And so the most important part of that response, the most important word of that response is that word new. Knowledge. Relationship. And so with that, I really, want to, I really want to just cover this whole message this morning with that, 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 that concept, is knowledge and relationship. So all else you do in, your, in, in what's going on inside you eternally, I, internally right now, you need to think in terms of relationship, okay? Not on what you have done. Because Jesus said, the Father's not going to be, really be looking at that. Jesus, I mean, he's going to, but see... I'm getting ahead of myself, but the, the, the point is, it's, it's about recognition. It's about, I heard your voice in prayer. I, I saw you, you know, doing certain things. We were connected. It wasn't going to be that you walk up. It's like walking up to a rock star or up to a, music, a, 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 um, a Hollywood personality, and you've been watching them all your life, and you walk up and you say, hey, you know, I always wondered what I would do if I saw Tom Hanks. Because I love all his movies, you know, and just walk up, Tom, I know you, man. You want to shake his hand, you give him a hug, <laughs> slap him on the back. 
But he'd, he'd push me away, and what, do we, what, do we, what would he say? I don't know you. Get away from me, you weirdo. You know, this big lug walking up, and I've got tears going, oh, Tom, man, I loved you in one of my favorite movies, Joe versus the Volcano. You've probably never seen it. It's one of his most odd, weird movies, but to me, it's just an allegory of life. I just love it so much. But anyway, um, but I mean, what he's saying is that's going to be kind of what it's like, is we're going to run up to Jesus. Jesus, I love you so much. He's going to like, hey, who, who are you again? And that's kind of hard, isn't it? I mean, and, but we need to keep that in mind when we start this. So, what I, I see is there, there is a development of relationship. There are stages that you can see clearly in the Scripture that can really kind of help us gauge where we are. And that, that, that's what needs to aggressively happen this morning. Is you need to know where you are in this whole process. So let's start with the first one from the Depart From Me crew. And that is those who are enemies. The Bible talks about that there is, there is an antichrist spirit. Okay, and um, the the originator of this is is Satan himself, and uh, all the demons are not very happy. Satan himself and the demons are not very happy of what Jesus for what Jesus did on the cross and 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 grace and salvation and all the wonderful things that he did, and so now there is this spirit that is actively going out and discrediting the name of Jesus Christ and all the all things Jesus. They want to remove his name from public events. They, I mean, so anytime you see an aggressiveness against Jesus Christ, that is an antichrist spirit, okay? Do you understand that? You really need to. You really need to see that. It's not political. It's not all the things that, you know, we, we need to be sensitive to other religions. No, it's an antichrist spirit, okay? You've got to see that. And so whether it be a passive thing or an active thing. In other words, let's, let's just not talk about this. Jesus, a little girl is in, is in her uh, lunch just last week or a couple of weeks ago, and she's, she sits down. I think she's only like in second or third grade, and she sits down and just says, Lord, thank you for this meal. And, and one of the ladies in the cafeteria walks up and, and, and taps her on the shoulder and says, stop that. You, that's not good. Don't ever do that again. And the little girl is just kind of confused. Parents, she goes home and tells his parents, they stopped me from praying, Mommy, for my food. I'd call that what? An antichrist spirit. And that person at that point is an enemy of Christ. Now, we look at that, and we all just want to start pounding our shields. Boom, boom, you know, go marching. Let's get her, right? <laughs> we want to get a very, very aggressive and, and think about that. But, folks, you know what? It, it's, it's very subtle. And, 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 that, and, and so it's very, it's almost impossible to fight outright because it is all done in the name of sensitivity. And so really, it's got Christians, it's got us on our heels in a way. And, but what I want us to be really clear is that this is a person who is an enemy, okay? And this is exampled, uh, you can find this as an example in the scripture, and that's King Herod. Okay, King Herod is a Jew, but, but he is made king of the Jews, and he's ruling all over Jerusalem. He's got a heritage, of course, who knows what kind of real heritage he's had over the people of God. But there he's standing as a king, and yet he is an enemy 
of Christ. Okay, kills John the Baptist, kills off lots of Christians, and then, of course, finally gives his, his thumbs up to the crucifixion of the Savior of the universe. So a king, a political figure, loved and sought after and recognized in royalty, but yet an enemy of God in every way. Okay. And so that is what I call our first level of, 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 a, of, of people that are in a place of where they might be able to stand in, in, in close to God or in the name of God because, of course, Herod is a king in Jerusalem, and so he has association with God's people, but he's really an enemy. And so we really need to examine our hearts. Man, are we enemies of God? Ooh, that's a little scary. So, you know, standing in the place of. Now, this one is probably, and I don't even want to take that much time on this, but it's, it's a, generally what, is, what you're going to see is a life full of selfish desire, opulence. And again, characterized by just attacking the ways of God, whether passively by just not showing any favor or um, not giving any opportunity for God's people or actively attacking it and, um, you know, exposing it and hurting the people of God. And of course, this takes place a lot more around the earth. Okay, so that's level one. Number two, and this is where it gets harder. Because the first one's easier to spot. Then there's the observer, okay? That's a person who is indifferent. They see religion has a place for social balance. In other words, they're not aggressively against religion or, or Jesus per se. And they'll say things like, well, you know, Jesus was a good man. His teachings made sense. And those who are observers of Jesus, you know, and people who are, I'm sorry, no, people that would be classified as observers are just generally good people. And I wrote down here, they make good save the earth people. They're looking for a cause. It's just the wrong cause. Okay? So they observe and they look from afar and they see Jesus on this, doing the Sermon on the Mount and say, you know, there's a good guy up there. You want to go? Oh, no, no, I don't. You know, I'm not going to hang out with him or anything. I don't even really, really believe what he says. I'm not even sure what all he says. It's just, in other words, he's not an enemy, okay? And so those people might be a little easier to spot. An example in Scripture that we find is this guy named Simon the Sorcerer in the book of Acts who was watching the disciples doing works and miracles. And he was over there. He's going, wow, this is amazing. This is cool. And he, and he watches the people crying. He sees the miracles taking place, and he's watching them walk away. He's probably making notes. Okay, they said, in what? In Jesus' name. Okay, I want to get that. So afterwards, Simon walks up to Peter and just says, hey, man, how do you do this? Give me the Holy Spirit so that I can do what you're doing. And Peter, with discernment, looks at that and says, mm -mm. you will have no part of us or this ministry. Because he recognizes something, that he wanted just the power and what? Not the relationship. And that's important to see there. That's what characterizes what I call an observer. They want the power, but not the person. In Matthew chapter 21, 23 through 27, we, we find that Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees, who I would consider at this point is really kind of 
just observers up to this point. Eventually, they become enemies. But right up to this point, the Pharisees are just sitting there watching this Jesus, not really not, not knowing what to do with him. Later on, of course, they, they become enemies and say, we need to kill him. He needs to die. And so they're watching, so they come up and they ask him, you know, by what power and by what authority do you do, you do these things? And of course, Jesus, being amazingly wise, looks at him and just says, they want into me. They want to know something about who I am and what I do. They're disqualified because all they are is observers. They have no part of my ministry. And so he throws a little, little, little something at him, and he says, he says, well, let me ask you a question. And if you can answer this question, then I'll tell you by what authority I do this. Of course, he's thinking to himself, I've been telling you by what authority I've been doing it for months. But if you really need me to say it again, so he just says, was John the Baptist from God? And now they're, they're like, just one minute. So they, get to, they huddle together. Man, if we, <laughs> they're now in a conundrum, and they're just going, gosh, if we say he's not of God, the people will, will, will storm us because we knew that John the Baptist ministered to thousands. That's no good. We don't need that on our hands. And, but, but then if we say he was of God, you know, then we're admitting, we're setting ourselves up for what he's getting ready to say. And so now they're, 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 they're trapped because of their own sinful hearts and their inability to focus on truth. So then he just says, and, so, and, and they said, we don't know. Of course, he knows he's lying. they're lying. And he goes, well, then neither will I tell you your answer. And what I, what I, I kind of rewrote that and said, you know, this is Jesus speaking, you don't have faith. Therefore, it will not do you any good to know who I am or what I'm even doing here. And in that sense, what I want to say is, you know, people that are observers, okay, again, they're not enemies of the faith, but there are people who just sit there and watch. And they just think, wow, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I think that that is where it really begins with Jesus, those who will stand before him, who were really walking in a certain path in this world, but think that they can get in line over on the sheep side, and they're just waiting Jesus would hurry up and get through the rest of those folks. My turn. They get up there. Hey, how you doing, Jesus? I don't see you on our list here. Well, I went to church every Sunday. I took communion. I showed up at the servant days. I mean, my name. I mean, I signed up for every spaghetti dinner they ever had. Come on, man. I was on the men's basketball team. Now, come on. I'm playing with you. But what I'm saying is, folks, observers, it's all about association, but not the relationship. And that's important that we see this, that we allow this truth to divide the hair right down to its molecular level to really examine our motives and let the Holy Spirit do that now. Okay? Then we have what we call the fan. This is a person who is not only, and they're not just observers. They actually love the idea of Christianity. They look up to and respect those who believe. But again, there's no real participation in Christianity as a movement. Anyway, beyond the cultural identification. And that describes a huge part of the United States. Americans in whole. 
that we identify with the Judeo-Christian ethic, morality, law, although that's all being challenged now, by the way. We don't understand because we don't like, nobody likes to think that our foundations are being destroyed. Okay, you see, and this is about the time of the year, you're gonna, you might see these little tiny bugs with wings on them flying around your foundation. And they're flying around, and they're sitting there down in little things, and you're looking at them, oh, look at those nice little ants. Man, you are in denial. <laughs> those are not ants, baby. They call those things what? Termites. They're evil, demonic. And you're going to have to have, you know, the Holy Spirit in the form of whatever extermination company to come and get them. Cast those things out of your home in Jesus' name or whatever chemical they use. But what I'm, my point is, is that, man, when those things get into the foundation, you, that's the first thing you say, oh, no, 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 those aren't termites. You're in denial, man. You don't want to spend the money. You don't want to think that your foundation is what? Being destroyed. And so in our culture, man, folks, we got termites all up in our stuff, but nobody wants to admit it. Nobody wants to say it's getting eaten away. And you have the whole exterior. It's all still there, but, man, you start to dig into it, it's like it gets ugly. Because now teachers are telling little children, don't pray, that is bad. I would say that's a foundation problem. I'd say that's a foundation problem. That's not just a, a situation where, and nobody was up in arms about it. I mean, nobody, nobody picketed, nobody did anything. We just look at it, and we as Christians say, no, no, no termites here. But, can I get back to on point here? Folks, we've got a lot of fans out there. We love the idea of Christianity because it's good. I mean, like C.S. Lewis, he came to that point and basically said, you know, it's, not, it's illogical to not be a Christian. Because here, Jesus did everything for us. He died on the cross. He, he's forgiven our sins and not asking for anything in return. How's that a bad deal? There's nothing. And so, I mean, that's what C.S. Lewis did. He just said, a person would be a fool not to accept what Jesus did. Unless, of course, you deep inside, you can't stand the thought of not being able to do what you, you want to do. In other words, to be able to live a sinful lifestyle. We don't want anybody to ever tell us no. And that's what our culture is infested with. It's just like, look, don't ever tell us what to do. We don't want morality. We don't want your this. We don't want your that. But what we don't realize, folks, is that laws, this is being recorded, but I'm, I'm just going to say it. You know, laws are for fools. Laws are for fools. Why? Because when you don't have wisdom, when you don't have morality, when you don't have self-respect, when you don't have love for people, then you've got to have somebody stand up and say, you can't go speeding through that, that stop sign because you will kill someone. And so the foolisher, that's not a word, but the more foolish Charlene and all our teachers here. <laughs> I can't get away with nothing. This place filling up with a bunch of teachers. But anyway, I can't get away with anything. Anyway, um, 
<laughs> Double negative. Okay, come on, leave me alone. <laughs> uh, what was I even talking about? Right, right. Yeah, I need to finish that point because it's a good one. Um, but basically, guys, what's going to happen is the, the more foolish our culture gets, the more they have to create laws. And so in the end, what they want, they cannot have. What they want is complete a society with no rules. I'm sorry. You can't have it. There is no utopia here on this earth because we are born evil. And without Jesus Christ and the deliverance from that evil nature, you will never have a utopia on this earth. And even with Christians, we still need some help. We still have to sit down and say, look, let's work this through. Because I'm black and you're white. And because of this and because of that, you're a man, you're a woman, there's marriage, there's kids, there's, right? So, look, a fan has no participation in Christianity. But again, beyond that cultural identification. Our example is Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a guy who's a fan of Jesus. And you know how we know about his, his, his being a fan? Is he has to go at night. He can't talk to him out in the public because he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus as who he really is. So I can't come to church during daytime. Or I can't go to a prayer meeting. I can't do this. I can't do that because I don't want people thinking that I'm, you know, one of those all-in Christians. And so he comes at night and he says, hey, look, um, I know you're real. I mean, no one could do what you're doing unless you were the son of God, or at least that you're real. I don't even know what to call you. Who are you? And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and in love just says, you're a fan. I mean, he didn't say that, you know, word for word, but I'm, I'm just extrapolating here. He says, you're a fan, Nicodemus. You're attracted to me. And you see that there's truth in me. He, but, but, then, but he pins him down. He says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. I'm sorry, Nicodemus. You can't just observe. You can't just be a fan. You can't. He says, I know you're one of many enemies of me. And I know you're coming at night. He says, but buddy, you've got to be born again. You have got to turn it all up upside down. You've got to die to who you are. And then you've got to be reborn as a whole new person. And Nicodemus, you know, he must have been looking, and he asked him because it was so foreign. He just was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And that's when he, he went on to say, look, this is going to make more sense to you later. But you've got to die to yourself. Got to die to yourself. So what we see in this half, in these three kinds of what I would call unbelievers, or believers who think they're believers, is that there's no relationship. Just religion in many possible forms. Paul described it as this in 2 Timothy 3.5, the most, most powerful, specific description I've ever seen. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power. We could even go on to say, you know, in, in, in attaching to, to this what Jesus said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power and the relationship. Okay? Really true. Now let's look at the second half here. 
And this is the good part. Jesus said, when he went to his disciples, he, of course, is combing through. He's having to deal with the enemies. He's having to deal with, with observers. He's having to deal with the fans. And they were the ones who were running up, you know, and just saying, you know, Hosanna. And this is Palm Sunday. They ran up to him and just said, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. But they were just fans. Because in a few short days, something very, very difficult was getting ready to happen. And then you see who the real followers of Christ. Let's look at that. So Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The most powerful part of that verse is and. And we'll get to that. Let's look at these next three. There's the follower. In John chapter 7, it describes a conflict, a conflict of of the believers. There are crowds that followed and enjoyed the blessings of Jesus. There's teaching, there's healing, there's food and drink. Not a bad deal. But they still struggled with complete identification, and Jesus pointed that out. And what we see is that followers tend to wander away when called upon to suffer. See, Jesus comes to that place where he just says, look, if you're going to be followers of me, you've got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. That was not a very good church growth technique. He cleared them all out, man. And, but what he, he, he later went on to tell them, because they were like, you know, Jesus, why do you always talk this way? Why do you speak in allegory? Why do you speak symbolically with, with this figurative speech all the time? Why do you do that? And he, he said, because I'm testing the heart. I'm testing the heart. He says, because if what you see in me and there's a real connection to me, then you're going to push past that figurative speech and, and, and say, what is he really saying? And don't you see that in relationships? When you really, really love someone, you push past the emotion, husbands, wives. You push past what is, really, what is all on the surface, and, you, and you, you're willing because you love them so much to just say, and guys, we need to learn this. <laughs> To push past that and say, what are they really saying? Because that's what love will do and commitment will do. And that's what Jesus was saying. Look, if you love me, then the whole flesh and blood thing is not going to be a problem. Because you're going to look at one another and say, look, we've been following this guy. He's never once asked us to eat you know, his flesh. So what is he saying? So they're just hanging around, you know, smiling. And then after everybody leaves, you know, Peter walks up, you know, and the guys are just like, uh, so Jesus, <laughs> yeah, so uh, you're not going to have us eat you or anything, are you really? I mean, you're the son of God. Where else are we to go? Um, this is really calling us to a whole new level, bro, you know. But they push past. But the followers, see, when it gets to that point where maybe there's a little confusion, and again, it's just when we get to that place, we, you know, it, it, there's a little suffering, there's a little confusion, there's a little struggle. What the follower tends to struggle with is what I'm getting at here is, is we, we often say things like, what's in, in, in this for me? I mean, I love Jesus, I know who he is, he knows me by name, but when things start to get rough, we're, at the end of the day we say, is this, am I still getting the teaching that I need? Am I still getting the healing that I need? 
Am I getting the food and the drink? And I mean, I mean, getting all the bennies, which is why faith-based churches and faith-based teaching really bothers the mess out of me. Because what I think it does is it creates anemic, weak Christians. Because what it does is it builds in us just that, you know, baby Christian, little bird in the nest, you know, just keep pouring out whatever is needed at the moment. And sometimes Jesus is going to have to say, look, um, and he did that with the disciples because they're over there just going, Lord, we don't have enough money to do this. And he said, you guys feed him. That's when he took the whole discipleship up thing, a whole different level, and he's like, wait, 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 wait. You're the son of God. You can do anything, and you're asking me to do something about it? Yes. Guess what, guys? That's what this is all about. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm leaving. I'm going to give you the authority. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to help you create the church, and then you got to go and do it. That's what that was all about. And so the followers, though, they got a little discouraged. And, and of course, that was very much uh, exemplified by all of what I would call the crowd, the masses, and those who eventually came back after the crucifixion of Jesus. may have been even a, a good deal of the 120 that were in the upper room. But let's move on to the next one, disciple. Disciple. That is where most of us are. It's a believer who has answered the call to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus initially called them servants there in John chapter 15. But later, and, and he calls them friends, but we'll get to that in a second. But a servant or a disciple does what they are told. That is one of the clearest things that you see with a disciple, is that there, the issue of following has been dealt with. You know your identity. You know, man, I'm in this. I'm not an enemy. I'm not an observer. I've made the commitment. I've signed the card. I'm in Jesus came and found me. I was out fishing. I was out doing something else. And he said, come, follow me. And we followed. And, and so many of us just said, you know what? My life is all about him now. But let's, let's break this down a little further. So, you know, we, we, so that whole idea of servanthood, is, it literally means to stir up dust, I thought was really neat. It's, you know, uh, the whole idea, it, it means activity. It means to stir up dust. It means to be doing. And so when we give our life to Jesus, that, if you really want to know it, just kind of to be able to see the difference between a fan and a disciple, it's that disciple is stirring up dust. They're doing stuff. They're, they're busily serving. Okay, Lord, what's next? Well, this. Okay. They're doing it. But their life is a constant training session. There's a definite personal uh, identification. But the daily walk is more about lessons learned than lessons lived. Now catch this. Lessons learned rather than lessons lived. What will characterize a disciple, again, which is most of us, is that we spend most of our relationship with Jesus Christ just learning and on our knees saying, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. Your word said this, and I did this. The example to me is Peter. <laughs> Peter, Peter, Peter. Jesus says, we're going to do this. And he says, never, Lord. And Peter has to turn on him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You see? I mean, the lead guy in the whole team is making mistake after mistake. And 
that's what characterizes us as disciples is that we're saying, amen, I think I got it. We stand up from prayer and we charge into something only for the Lord to say, man, you missed me three exits back. You need to learn to listen a little more. You need to be learning a little more sensitivity. You need to, you need to grow in this thing. Because yes, you're on the team, but come on, guys. I want you to get what? I want you to get my heart. Let's go to the next step then that really kind of explains that. Because to get from a disciple to this next stage of what I call friendship is we have to understand that little word I told you about earlier. What was it? Jesus said, follow me. And that's where we most, most of us stop. But look where it says, and what? I will make you fishers of men. See, in John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's what? Business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. And to me, the difference there is that, that passion to walk with Jesus daily, to do more than just what is expected of us, but it's seeking first the kingdom of God. It's understanding the body of Christ. It's taking Jesus' mission to heart to say, man, I'm saved. I'm a disciple. I'm learning. I'm growing. I make mistakes. But you got to move from those lessons learned to more lessons lived. And living our lives to just say, look, I love Jesus. He's not just the guy that, that's that painted, you know, long-haired dude that we put on our wall. And we get a tear when we look at it. <laughs> Jesus. Or that we get motivated to feel sorry for every Easter. Or get excited about when he's born. But he's a man that we know. And we know him more than just that Savior. We go from Savior to he's our King. We go from that to, I know what your heart is, Jesus. I now know what you were here for. It wasn't just to save the world. It was to save, uh, 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 you know, seeking to save that which is lost, but then to fill us up with his burden, to fill us up with his heart, to go and to do it on his behalf. Folks, that's friendship with God. That's friendship with God. I'm not talking about getting called into full-time ministry. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about Christians who understand that you are here on this earth to use your energy, your gifts, your breathing in and out for the master's business. You want to be a friend of God. You can be a servant who just always is, Jesus says, clean that up. Okay, yes, sir. Okay, what now? Go do that. Okay, yes, sir. But a friend says, I know what you want me to do today. I don't have to ask you. Matter of fact, a friend goes beyond and just says, Lord, I'm going to start creating things for you. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, rather than just take that one talent and bury it, but I'm going to go and make three, four times more. And you're not having to ask me a thing. And when Jesus shows up and he comes again and we stand before him, he's going to say, Brian, Andrea, Kelly, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, you took my heart and you ran with it, which is why 
as a pastor and as a church, when people try to evaluate and people try to say and just say, well, that's not what the church should be doing, I'll just say, you know, who told you that? Who told you that? Because my heart is to say, Jesus, I want to make a big flashbang for you. And that's what makes him really, really happy. How do I know that? Because I know him. I talk to him. I check in with him. And I'm very, very, and you are, very, very in that place where you can just say, Lord, what do you think about my life and the direction I'm going? Lord, what do you think about what I'm spending my money on? Lord, what do you think about where my marriage is and where I'm connected with my king? Lord, Lord, what, Lord, 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 what, 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 what? But if those words are never coming out of our, our mouths, and folks, we're just, again, we're just going to be in this place where we're just constantly looking at a relationship purely from just, he's up there somewhere. I'm following him, and I see those footprints but they're very faded. I mean, I know, I think he's going that way. But the goal is to walk side by side with him through whatever he calls us to. The example that we find in Scripture of all the disciples just before Jesus' death. And then the 120 in the upper room in Acts chapter 1 and 2 after his death. They're completely, the world has been turned upside down. It gave them time, and then they just said, you know what? We have no life without him. Let's just wait. <laughs> Let's just wait. That's beautiful. The last one I want to talk about is an exceptional believer. It's the brother. And I wrote here, you know, few experienced this in their life. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We will at some point experience prejudice and persecution for standing up for what is right. All the disciples fled, except one. Except one. And you know what? As a pastor, you know, you know it, it, it's hard when, we, when people leave. You know, it's hard as a pastor. Because, you know, you're working and you're loving and you're doing everything in your heart to know, to, to increase and to pour into other leaders, to to teach them, to help them, to, to expand what we do because, you know, Andrew and I can't be in every home. We just can't. And so we do what we can, as faithful as we, as we can. And so when someone leaves, it, it's hard. I mean, we don't, we don't, I mean, if anybody ever thinks that we just like, oh, well, uh-uh. We feel every one. It's hard. It's painful. But I had my pastor tell me, he said, David, remember, all Jesus' sons, Led except one. You know, so if he could only keep one in the end, what are, who are we to think? What are we to think? But I want to talk about that guy. I want to talk about John because really, every one of us, that's our goal. I don't know where you are on this stage, but what we should be shooting for is that guy right there. <laughs> because when Jesus, they came up, the soldiers were going to take him away. There was actually two who followed. We know the story. Who was the other one? It's Peter. But Peter is just, he's doing it out of what? Sheer guilt. I mean, Peter is just motivated by guilt. John is just like, I'm going to die with him. John is just like, I am so connected to this guy by soul. I, his, his destiny is my destiny. He dies, I die. Peter's just like, man, we're going to figure this thing out. Somehow we've got to figure this thing out. Still going back to that, his, his, his nature. 
which is to try to super, you know, uh, to gather, go around the ways of God. But John was just like, no, I'm with him. I have his heart. You found John with his head on Jesus' breast there at the Last Supper. He knew what was going on. He wasn't some confused half-wit. I mean, some pe- sometimes people think of John as just kind of, you know, <laughs> no, Jesus, I mean, John was there. He, was, he knew. His heart was so, when Jesus said, look, I'm going to die, and in three days I'm going to raise up, John looked at that and said, wow, okay. Peter said, no way. The rest of the guys were over there going, hey, who wants to, hey, where's Shlomo with the bag of money? You know what I mean? They're clueless. But John knew exactly what was going on because he had Father's, I mean, he had Jesus' heart. He had it. And that's our goal, folks, is that we know where we are, that we're like the sons and the daughters of Issachar, that we know what's going on at any, any given time, that days don't come and go, that sun does not go from night to darkness without us knowing where we stand in the, in, in the earth, where we stand as God's created people, where we stand as the church. We've got to always know that and that we hold the things in this world lightly, lightly, because this is not my home. Is this your home? No, this is not our home. Man, this is a temporary stopping station. And at this point in our time is that we understand the Father's heart, heart. See, friendship with the world will only buy you peace for a time. In John chapter 15, Jesus talks about that. He touches that. So, what's your next step? If you're an enemy of God, then you must see that you only have a few opportunities to choose. If you're in this room today, when it's over, it's over, okay? God is opening his hand of love and mercy to you. But when this, when this whole thing is wrapped up, and most certainly is wrapped up when you die, there will be no other choosing. You're not fighting the church. You're not fighting Christians. You're not fighting a religion. You're fighting God himself, and he always wins. If you're a fan, then please see that your religion of goodness is never going to save you. Yes, works are important. It's good to be good. But they are the fruit of a life of a relationship, but never your justification for being good enough to go to heaven. So if you stand before Christ and you say, but Lord, didn't I do this or that in your name? Jesus very made it very clear that that's not what the basis of going to heaven is. is, is, is. It's, not, it's not based on that at all. Paul taught that. I mean, that's, that is a New Testament theme. That's by grace, not by works. Lest any man should boast. Ephesians. But bottom line is it's about a personal relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you know him? And if you don't know him, you can know him today. If, if you've drifted from him, that, can, that relationship can be restored and repaired in an instant. Most of us, as I said, are disciples but it's time we grow to become friends, that we, that we would open to laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. Are we? Are we really? Here's an easy test for every person. 
Do you exist to serve God for whatever his purpose is for your life? If you can say yes to that honestly, then you're a friend. But if you can't say yes, then it's time to ask Jesus to take you to the next level, pure and simple. Even Bible-believing Christians can begin to rest on faith and deeds of their past. We can do that. It's called resting on our laurels, celebrating the laurels of our past. But where are we today? Who are we? In relationship to Jesus. So let's stand up this morning and let's pray. And let's ask him to take us to the next level. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. I wonder if we could take a moment to just allow the Holy Spirit to come and just show us. Again, as I prayed earlier, this is not about condemnation. This is about a good conviction. Again, all of our goals should be to just be, to have our head. And I mean, you know, that's where I am. I, I want to have my head on the breast of Jesus. I so quickly just fall into servanthood status. Just to do, just to do, just to do. But I always want to know the why and that to be my motivation. And then beyond all the doing, where we want to be is that we just love him for who he is, period. And really, the following is not the hardest part. It's just like, you know what? I'm following you to death. The question I need to ask is, man, am I... Am I close? As close as I could be right now. So Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're looking to you by the Holy Spirit. Did you show us? No coercion, Lord, nothing to shame anyone into anything. But Lord, to just make a simple evaluation. Where are we? Who are we? Who are we to you? So, of course, I want to take a moment that if you're in this room and God's knocking on the, the, the door of your life and you, you, you know that you're either an enemy, an observer, or a fan, and I, I've just got to make it clear to you that it's not going to do it. But if you're in this room today and no one's looking around and you want to change your status, you want to take it to the next level, you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what? You don't have to leave having that confusion. You can leave today knowing that you can become a follower of Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today, and you're ready to give your life to this living Jesus. You're ready to follow him. You're ready to stop the madness and do like C.S. Lewis did, who finally just said, you know what? It does not make sense to resist God in his great love. Raise your hand up if you'd like for me to pray for you. 
to give your life to Christ for the first time. Is there anyone here at all? Okay. Lord, for the rest of us, my assumption is that, Lord, many of us in those, that other half, God, we're kind of asking you right now, Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, to just kind of get right to the point. Lord, we want to be brothers and sisters, Lord. Lord, we want our head on your breast at all times. We want to draw close to you. But Lord, for many different reasons, maybe, God, we're, we're not sure. Lord, we're growing in this discipleship thing. There's so many other things to learn. The truth is, God, the lessons and the truths, Lord, all of that can be made so much easier when we just surrender to you. So, Lord, all across this room, that's where we want to go. If that's your heart today, Lord Jesus, we want to draw near you. We want to know your business. We want to know your heart. We want to be connected to you, to know what's going on in the earth, in the universe. We want to know our place in it. And we want to be actively connected to you daily, Lord. Daily, moment by moment. So we ask you to do that in our hearts today. So, Lord, we surrender. We surrender. see yourself doing that. Lord, forgive us, God, of our distractions. Lord, forgive us, Lord, of, of, of us getting caught up in the things of this world. Lord, we don't want to be friends, of, friends with this world. Lord, we know it's passing away. We know, Lord, that it, it shortchanges, that it doesn't bring life. Lord, we know all these things. Forgive us. Now, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you fill us with new faith, with a new joy, Lord, with a new confidence that, Lord, we're connected to you, hand in hand, moving forward for your kingdom. In Jesus' name.